You you also have a Tom Watson. That's very funny <laughs> yeah, yeah. to me. Uh, we, we have you ins- have a Tom Watson. Yeah, we oh, have yeah. A, we have an insane man oh, yeah. named Tom Watson. No, who? Yeah, no, we have a we have also have a guy who very much fits the same role of his namesake of Rekka. Rekka yeah. Watson. His name is Tom Watson, and he is like a how would I describe him? He's sort of like a uh, like he's like a he's like the, the Renfield to Hillary Clinton's Dracula. <laughs> You know, he's yeah, like he's, this, uh, very, this, like, this craven, like, like, a simpering little toady. He's some kind of, like, whatever the smallest rung of professor is, like, part-time, associate, non-tenured right. professor, but it was enough to get him a check mark on Twitter, and he's been this insane Hillary bro since 2015, when we all kind of wow. discovered him, and his, his big claim to fame was comparing a Bernie rally in New York to a Nuremberg rally. Oh, that was that guy! Yeah. yeah. He's still oh, around. Wow. <laughs> He's still around. He's still posting. Uh, Which of, I respect. Of, of, <laughs> of recent vintage, though, Tom Watson had like a, a really good um, uh, take to, to bring up or just pull that card out of the, on my filing cabinet where I, you know, I print out all the good tweets and file them by, by name and date <laughs> so, I can, so I can post them again when it becomes uh, advantageous to do so. Uh, right after uh, Beto O'Rourke dropped out, uh, I, you know, you could search his his repertoire, and uh, he had all this shit where he was just like, "Wow, now that Beto's in the race, like the Bernie phenomenon is over." <laughs> and he was just like, "All the young white bros are going to go for the next new better thing, and that's Beto." So How do these bye bye Bernie just continuously get everything so wrong, and yet? Cling on to their blue ticks and like bylines in you know shit news. Well, the Thomason doesn't even get bylines. He's no, just no, in he's it just, for yeah. the love of posting. You know, more conspiratorial minded people think he's on the on the take or something. But no, he's just he's just here for the love of the game. Which you know, m- mad respect to Tom Watson, <laughs> friend of the show, big inspiration. <laughs> Both Tom Watsons. Yeah. Both yeah. Tom Watsons. We, we, All the Toms. <laughs> <laughs> Radio Free Tom. <laughs> Tom Watson of the US and UK variety. Um, we should, yeah, we'll, we'll get into the uh, uh, Tom Watson's uh, UK counterpart. But uh, before then, I think I, we should uh, formally uh, start the show and introduce our guest. I, of course, uh, will. You know, no big shock there. But uh, Virgil is back with us here. I got Virgil. Oh, hey. Yeah, it's Virgil. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Virgil's back from uh, Germany. Yes, I am, yeah. Our guest today uh, from across the pond is Grace Blakely, who is a uh, journalist and author uh, based in the UK. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, A pleasure to have you. Um, Obviously, we want to talk to you about, you know, our boy Jez and everything that's going on in uh, the UK, because last time we had Marcus on... Mm-hmm. Everything was still up in the air. Basically, the point of that episode is that nobody really knows anything about what's going on. Or, Well, as somebody who's uh, frequently awake at six in the morning, uh, I have the privilege of being uh, uh, witnessing the prime posting hours in UK politics Twitter. Uh, you know, that's when all the Guardian columnists, you know, crawl out of bed and just, you know, start posting in, the way, that, posting, in yeah. the way that we do. That's your noon, I believe. And so I like to think I've got a a, a, a more nuanced view of uh, UK politics than your average uh, podcaster in Brooklyn. Uh, so uh, you have the Kingdom of England and uh, then the English Kingdom of Scotland to the north of it. Uh, and abutting that is the Kingdom of Ireland, 
uh, and its neighbor to the north, the Kingdom of Northern Ireland. And these are the uh, realms that are uh, pledged to the queen. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stop you right don't there, Virgil. Don't forget Jersey, There's, you know, the Cayman Islands, yes, all of Cayman, those dudes as well. Uh, They're all part of the mix. Jamaica, man. Uh, just <laughs> just going to stop you real quick there. Uh, one of those kingdoms you mentioned is in fact not pledged yeah, to the queen. I, I would be really quite I don't want to step on anyone's about, toes here. About the idea that it was. I, I, I won't be opening any mail for the next uh, six months. <laughs> were you, were you doing that on purpose? No? Because um, that was very much a thing that they, they were not in any way a king or, or queendom. And that was like, you know, that caused a, a bit of a bit of trouble. The troubles, actually, quite a few as of they them. were named. Well, I mean, historically, there are a, a tribal bog society. <laughs> Will can tell you more about this. <laughs> uh, you, whoever can lift the heaviest boulder, uh, it tends to uh, succeed as the war chief of, of course, Ireland, yeah. uh, as opposed to primogeniture. Do you see me laughing, Virgil? Do you see me smiling at this? <laughs> And I think it's funny to do this. I mean, I, I think it's not cool at all, but whatever. Um, right, no, but uh, Grace, uh, the last time we talked about uh, UK politics, um, everything's basically everything was still up in the air. Boris Johnson basically just kept shitting the bed. He kept losing votes. To, I, again, it's all the, I, I still don't quite get it, but it's basically all this idea that like there's Brexit and Brexit has to happen and everyone is trying to figure out a way to sort of not end also to make it happen and not make it happen at the same time. Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, if you're up at like 6 a.m. here and you're like, you know, reading Guardian tweets, then you would be perfectly legitimate to assume that the only thing that's happened in the entire UK political economic scene over the last three years has just been Brexit and our failure to get Brexit done. And the fact that, you know, basically there's like a bunch of different veto players, all of whom have very different wants out of this. There's like the executive, which, you know, the government has wanted to get some sort of hard Brexit done, but the Tory party's divided. You've got the right of the Tory party. That's like, we want the hardest possible Brexit. You've got the rest of the Tory parties that's like neoliberals and they just want to kind of stay as closely aligned to EU as possible. Then you have like the Tories, you know, constituency that they represent, which is capital and like chunks of capital want to stay within the EU. Chunks of it don't. Um, and then you have voters who are, like split into a bunch of different weird categories that like divide class politics with this new cultural dynamic that we kind of haven't had that much in the same way that you guys have this like open closed rural urban yeah. thing it's all just become a bit of a mess but what we have seen is that since guardian columnists and all the other columnists have not been able to say the only thing that's happened over the last three years has been brexit other people have been like actually over the last three years um you know, I haven't been able to pay my rent and the economy has crashed and like public services have collapsed and everything is pretty shit for me. So maybe we could talk about that for a second. And here we are. We're talking about that. It's the, uh, the 6 a.m. Guardian shift. They, uh, you know, roll out of the a baby Bjorn they sleep in. They start, <laughs> start posting like, you know, my pet parrot is gaslighting me or something it, like that. It's funny you say that, that this, this, this kind of cultural resentment politics is new to the U.K., uh, because I've noticed that, uh, and, and it's increasingly been tied to Brexit and UKIP, mm. uh, that, you know, we in the United States, we have our, 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 you know, MAGA idiot, mm. uh, type, uh, and they've gone off in a very weird dimension where their profiles are just, uh, a, a frog emoji, uh, you know, American flag shit, uh, all caps hashtags that don't really make any sense, <laughs> uh, like NASCAR dads for Q or something like that. And, <laughs> 
but but you have a version of that, I see, and it's it's uh, the English flag, and it's always some soccer bullshit. Yeah, yeah. There's there's English flags. There's soccer. Um, there's hatred of Jeremy Corbyn is big up yeah, there. They, for these they guys. all they all they're all dads who hate. They Jess. like Piers Morgan. You guys know him. Sure, sure. Yeah, they're a big fan. Well, that's him. baffling to me because he just seems like another like culturally effete fancy lad. Yeah, but I guess it's kind of fine to be that as long as you lick the boots of Trump. And Boris Johnson and and other people. Well, that's the case with Farage too, right? Yeah, I mean, that's he's, true. He's like a, a Tonian. But he does this whole thing of like, I'm, you know, I have a working class aesthetic because I like drink beer, and is, and he's like, you know, a functioning alcoholic. So I guess that <laughs> makes him working class. <laughs> I mean, was that the thing with uh, with Boris Johnson a while ago? It was like right when he first became PM or was or was running for it. And it was like some interview with him where they like uh, the journalist asked him like they were sitting in in Boris Johnson's house and the journalist asked him like uh, what do you do for fun and you could see him like the gears <laughs> yes. just turning in his head just saying don't say drink don't say drink don't say drink <laughs> and his answer was like yeah like uh, I I build buses out of wine boxes yeah. okay two things about that firstly he wasn't saying don't think drake he was saying don't say like burn 50 pound notes in front of homeless people or like <laughs> yeah. have sex with pigs which is <laughs> historically dogged conservative reminiscences but um the other thing is that the reason that he like there is a thing there is a like a conspiracy theory inverted commas that the reason that he said this was that he like did a bunch of stuff to fuck over buses in the uk and so when you search boris johnson buses what comes up is not boris johnson's policies fucked over like bus franchising it's boris johnson says a dumb thing about buses which i mean it sounds too smart for him to do but maybe that was it so how like uh how did how did boris johnson like uh get to this this general election thing now that, that it's been called it's just like he, he he tried several times to like get some vote or get his party behind him and it just didn't work and now they have to call for a general election or are they doing it strategically so that they can put labor like on like it's back foot like i think they think that like it's a little bit of both so johnson i mean he did want to get a deal through so the whole thing we've been going through over the last couple of years is how do you get a brexit deal that satisfies all those different veto players that i've talked about because you need to be able to win over which is impossible because everyone has completely contradictory exactly you know, and yeah. then you know incidentally the little kingdom of northern ireland is now the big right the big thing right, here yeah. because the border between the north and the south is like gonna be a hard border if the tories the, the right of the tory party gets what it wants and that was the intractable issue because yeah. there really is absolutely no solution that even someone like jez could fashion for that yeah i mean either there's a border or there isn't right and there was a bunch of this is like peak neoliberalism people thinking there's a technological solution for this thing that there is no technological solution for well, well right um, we'll, we'll 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 you know tag every irish person <laughs> yes. Uh, and then use, you know, RFID technology yeah. and then seamless open border. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was always going to fail. Um, and then we got up to the the date, which was Halloween, which was great. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, the parliament had basically passed a bill. Um, it wasn't a bill. It was some sort of motion, uh, amendment to some motion basically saying that um, uh, if Johnson didn't get a deal by this date, which was like, you know, 10 days before we were supposed to leave, then he had to, you know, hand it back to, to parliament and yeah and basically to prevent no deal um so we got to that point 
Johnson still hadn't managed to pass his deal, which was basically just an amended version of Theresa May's deal. So he and this uh, is to, I'm sorry, like this is to prevent a no deal Brexit, which would yeah. you know in theory be disastrous to the British economy. Yeah, so and- if like there was a no deal, it would be. A That's when people effectively... were worried about like you, you can't get antibiotics or like you yeah. Know, certain... I mean, all the like infrastructure um, and like you know regulation that had been built up around the the boundary between the UK and and the EU would just like you know it could in theory have just like crumbled and you wouldn't be able to go across the border. You wouldn't be able to get goods across the border. Um, there would also be a whole bunch of implications for like trade. You'd revert to WTO tariffs which would be really bad for certain sections of industry i mean how would the airports even work at that point yeah i mean you know they were claiming that they had a load of stuff in place to like make the transition as smooth as possible but there was absolutely no like, this has just never happened before but, like but, trade deals have not been undone right and johnson threatened that he's fine with the no deal brexit if he wanted to uh you know seeing the failures of may he wanted to deliver Parliament, you know, uh, 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 a binary choice, either take my deal that I negotiate, which is necessarily going to be pretty much the, similar to the May deal yeah. with a handful of tweaks. So therefore still have the same fundamental problems or, you know, fuck it. We're leaving on October 31st. Yeah. I mean, there was basically this big game of chicken between the executive and the legislature in the UK, which is not something that we usually get. You guys get that shit all the time because you have an executive that's like separate to Congress, right? But we have a prime minister who is elected by a legislature, is the head of the biggest party in the legislature, the one that's able to form a government. So it was really unusual to have a bunch of MPs being like, we aren't going to pass any of your like bills, but also to have that person still in power. So you got to this point where basically Boris Johnson was like, you have to do what I want you to do. Otherwise I'm going to hold no deal over you as in you have to pass my bill or you're going to get no deal. And the legislature was like, no, technically we have a system of parliamentary sovereignty, the Westminster model where parliament is supposed to be the institution with all the power. So they were like, we're not going to let you force us to do this. So they tried to pass this amendment, which ultimately worked. He who holds the mace holds the power. (laughs) Well, exactly. And this is the funny thing about like the English constitution, like Bajo, who was a, uh, 18th century constitutional theorist famously said that there was a bunch of kind of, um, you know, all the the aesthetic and like, you know, the bells and whistles on the English constitution, the mace carrying and whatever, basically served to conceal the fact that we have one of the most powerful executives in the world and it can just do whatever it wants. So actually, Bajo was kind of, you know, he had a little, little he was wrong because the legislature got it. Got it, got it, got it so it. is he the one who developed the rod tapping system? I don't know where what, the woman what you're in black has to. to pound the uh, the the door with a rod. I have literally no idea. But see, maybe explain. this belies things because this round of parliamentary nonsense in the states, at least, we've been getting like an extra dose of like all the goofy shit that the parliament has to do. This to, is like, how you guys been covering it. Yeah, right? exactly. Is like all this footage of like a, a woman dressed as like a 19th century judge. Uh, like ceremonially pounding on the door with uh, a black rod, and uh, meanwhile, like the MS, like Katie. Turner's oh, like, I feel as like, you yeah. can see in our in this clip, the black rod has approached Parliament, <laughs> initiating the acts of of conservation between pr- Queen and and. Why and, is this the first time we're seeing that? Because yeah. theoretically, there's been footage of this. Like it, yeah. it happens every new Parliament, and it's good tape. It's entertaining. It looks like fucking hard. Uh, I feel like nonsense. it's because the libs love talking about constitutional shit, so they don't actually have to talk about you know the fact that capitalism is burning they could just be like oh look at a funny man with the mace like knocking on the door right but like i said like so what was the issue that like so boris's own party 
rejected his, this choice that he was offering them between my deal and the no deal Brexit. Basically, the game of chicken was uh, resolved he, in favor of Parliament, which it, like passed this amendment saying if you don't get a deal, you can't go for no deal. Right. right? You, as in, it's illegal for you to try and get no deal after if you don't have one by this date. So at that point, he, you know, his options were limited. And there were some people that were like, we need a second referendum and another extension. Um, because, you know, we've had all these these bunch of extensions to the date we were supposed to leave the European Union, which has been a whole thing in and of itself. Um, but in the end, he went for an election. Him and his strategist, who is the kind of much maligned, like evil puppeteer figure in the background, Dominic Cummings, um, kind of the Steve Bannon if uh, of, of Johnson's um, Trump. So, yeah, like that happened Cummings thinks that he's going to be able to like have this election, which will be like people versus parliament. This kind of like right populist, very Trumpian strategy to try and win the UK Rust Belt, I guess, like states and uh, um, places in the north of the country that have been like decimated by uh, like financial globalization and capitalism, but which also have some pretty you know regressive views on immigrants. They think they can just play up to that with Brexit and say, we'll also do some infrastructure spending and win the north. The trouble is, those parts of the country hate the Tories because of Thatcherism. And that's still like a big thing that is remembered there. So it's probably not going to work. Yeah. I mean, aren't there, isn't the northern parts of the country like the strongest for not just labor, but like momentum labor and for jazz overall? I mean, like, yeah, like places like Manchester, um, some of the like cities in the north, definitely. You know, Durham is obviously you have the like Durham Miners Gala there every year. Um, I think, you know, people think, especially people in the south, Think of like Thatcherism as something just, you know, came and went and it gave us a nice modern economy with a big finance sector and whatever. But the legacy of that, which is just this profound deindustrialization, like the literal tearing apart of the fabric of communities, uh, is still very close in a lot of parts of the north of the country. And the like, you know, shit that has come along with that has been passed down through families and people don't want to vote Tory as a result. They might vote for the Brexit party, mm-hmm. which is this kind of crazy new like UKIP 2.0 that we've got um, led by our dear friend Farage. But I doubt very much that you'll see like, you know, many seats going going Tory in that part of the country. Let's talk a little bit about the parties contesting the election. The anti-Brexit Tories, the rebels who were kicked out of the party uh you know who are the people standing for the conservatives now are they full brexit is it full brexit boris party now it's definitely not full brexit boris party i mean you know in the same way that you're never gonna have in like amongst republicans or amongst democrats in the u.s complete and utter alignment because you know in majoritarian electoral systems you have two parties and they have to like smush together a bunch of different tendencies so he hasn't got complete and utter control over the whole party there are still the cameronite neoliberals who Mm -hmm. are basically like we like globalization we like international trade um we you know just want to have a kind of internationalist version that you know is mainly based on free movement of capital, but also free movement of people can go in there as well. Like they're still a pretty dominant faction um, and they are probably going to cause Johnson some trouble, although they're at the moment like, you know, have basically been put to bed partly as a result of some of these resignations, partly just as a result of the fact that Johnson seems pretty unassailable at the moment. Uh, But if he loses, you know, that wing will probably stage a fight back. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, but, the, but 
I mean, as we've seen with Jacob Rees-Mogg making those comments about Grenfell and like basically like getting a slap on the wrist, there are some pretty bad people at the heart of the Tory party right now. So yeah, no, you, you brought up uh, uh, JR, JRM, our boy, Jacob Rees-Mogg. JRRM. George R.R. Rees-Mogg. Um, <laughs> So, like, the, 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 you know, British election, they happen pretty quick, right? There's not that much time left. Like, when you guys are oh, full on. Oh, okay. Well, actually, I was going to say usually they're not this quick, which they aren't. But they are quick compared to your guys' elections, which happen all the time, apparently. So, like, uh, yeah. It's like, so, yeah. <laughs> We're having a presidential election right now. Right I don't now. know if you know this. So, um, so it just kicked off. And Jacob Rees-Mogg is starting, like, the starting gun for the Tories goes on, what, radio or TV and says... The, you know, 70 plus people who died in the uh, Grenfell fire did so because they were just too stupid and not self-reliant enough to leave the yeah. building. Yeah. But and that's... he's, I've seen that like other people in the British press are defending him now. But that's just capitalism. Right. It's social Darwinism applied to the economy, right? You know, if you can't get out of the building, it's probably because you weren't entrepreneurial enough. You know, it, maybe if they'd owned their own homes, then they would have cared more and the fire wouldn't have started in the beginning. Well, if they had owned their own homes, they wouldn't have covered it in, you know, flammable cladding in the first place, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, it is... It's they wouldn't the have fault. used oily rags to insulate yeah. the uh, walls. Basically, you know, Grenfell is just a really good indictment of the existence of social housing. So, right. he's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I guess, I don't know what it's called in the, U- in the US. Public, public housing. Public housing, public housing yeah. yeah. Um, no, but I mean, that was... That was Utterly appalling. I actually have had a run-in with Jacob Rees-Mogg before because I went on Question Time with him. Oh, and, wow. And that question was the time. time. Yeah, I know, right? Question Delightful. Time. Delightful. Uh, that was the time that he basically set off a kind of international like dispute with South Africa by claiming that um, I was like, it was a question about Churchill. I was like Churchill fought in the Boer War. And in the Boer War, the UK pioneered the use of concentration camps. And um, and Jacob Rees-Mogg said, they weren't really concentration camps. The death rate in the camps, they were put there for their own protection. And the death rate was the same as Glasgow at the time. And the South Africans are like, screw you, man. This is ridiculous. The Glaswegians are like, yes, because there was a public health crisis in Glasgow because of the English and everyone kicks off and he gets into a lot of trouble. So that was fun. Yeah, they weren't concentration camps. They were just merely camps where certain populations were concentrated and left to die of illness. <laughs> yeah, he's a great um, guy. Yeah. A so, fairly hilarious thing to argue. Like, see, it was no bit worse than being in Scotland. <laughs> um, so, like, so th- th- those are the Tories, but like then, okay, so but what about labor? Because, like, is labor is it is it sort of like a party divided against itself because it seems like you know a lot of people don't like Corbyn but like they're the, these are the liberal squishes but like I also see at six a.m. Uh, uh, occasionally dunked on the Pete Buttigieg type labor people are like I I voted labor my entire life and uh, I'm burning up my card now because <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn is a bridge too far. I mean, is that is that and that's very comparable to our psychos? Too. Yeah, is, yeah. Is this is this a media phenomenon or like how like how does like Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party like currently stand going into this election? It depends how you define the party, right? Because the parliamentary Labour Party is stuffed full of a bunch of people who got their seats like 10, 20 years ago and are either wedded to Blairism or just can't imagine anything beyond like capitalism and even like just neoliberalism. Um, so they find this whole situation very confusing. Some of them are just very ideologically right wing, but a bunch of the ones that actually are committed to like a different way of organizing things have left because they know that they're, they're screwed. Everyone else is like everyone else who was kind of 
towards the right of the party and is in the Labour Party now, I feel like is just probably a bit confused because their whole like mindset, which was built in the 90s around this like end of history moment, capitalism is going to win, everything's going to continue to get better forever and ever and ever. Then the financial crisis hits and Brexit happens and Corbyn happens and they're just like, whoa, like my whole brain has like melted because of these events because actually capitalism wasn't as inherently stable as we all initially assumed. So there's them and they have been trying to wreck, the Tom Watsons have been trying to wreck yeah, so well, yeah, talk, talk about that. Talk about like the, the efforts within the, these traders in the Labour Party, guys like Tom Watson and others who are trying to wreck Corbyn's and the Labour Party's chances. Yeah, well, I mean, Watson's gone now, but basically they who, spent who the last... Who was Tom, the British Tom Watson? Yeah. Tom Watson. Twatson, as some people <laughs> have referred to him. Um, he's gone now, so I can say this stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was the deputy leader of the Labour Party put in there initially to try and like placate his his wing um and he has spent the last couple of years doing all sorts of stuff to kind of undermine the part like jeremy's position on brexit um like stirring up trouble by just constantly like briefing against people leaking stuff yeah he was the guy who was like the go-to like when like if like the the british press like the telegraph or whatever yeah. will always anonymously quote a senior labor party official yeah, yeah, yeah. who's you know uh shitting all over yeah. uh corbyn it's always tom watson and now they have to find a new source right yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah and he he's like got allies in that wing of the party um and they are all very in with the media. They like, you know, are usually relatively able when they go on TV and stuff. So they've been become kind of darlings of the liberal establishment. Um, but I mean, they're not, they don't really have any power. And the reason for that is that the, the Labour Party, because it's actually a party, unlike the Democratic Party. Where you actually have members. to be a, a member. Yes, yes exactly. It has 500,000 members. And it also is has, you know, um, an alliance with the UK Labour movement and the big unions. Um, and because of that, Corbynism is basically safe until if he lost this election, obviously he would be he would have to step down and there would be a succession. But the membership is left wing. Like the unions, some of them are, are not, but like most of them are broadly on side. So... It's like Corbynism from that sense is safe. The thing is, is just there are these people at the top who are trying to maneuver and like, like screw shit up to like de-link the membership from the, the party. Now, how much of the leadership of the party is in the Corbyn's control, him and his allies? Is it still, you know, he's been the leader of the party for what? Four, three, four years now? Yes, four years, yeah. Uh, and survived two leadership contests. Yeah. And went through one election. Uh, but at this point, it seems there's still a substantial anti-Corbyn wing. Yeah, there's also the thing that, you know, because the Labour Party is a party, it also has, like, a full-time bureaucracy. Um, <clears throat> and there's, like, a bunch of people in that bureaucracy who do not like Corbynism. Mm -hmm. But having said that, it is, like, you know, that people have been replaced and it's becoming better it's gonna be a little bit more left wing the same can be said about the plp you know a bunch of people are stepping down or have left to form cucktinge plc aka the independent group that's a whole another hilarious story that we could go into um many of whom have now actually joined the lib dems mm. um and yeah a couple of others although not that many have been actively deselected by the members so things are going the right way but if this was to continue you know, if we were to get to a position where Corbyn had complete control, it would take like another, you know, decade or something. It is funny uh, uh, if if we could just talk about the Change UK for a second. It <laughs> is funny how when the anti-Corbyn people reach the end of their rope and leave the party, they just immediately get owned. 
Yeah. And I like to think if Bernie Sanders were the Democratic nominee, you know, there would be some kind of rump third party like <gasps> Howard Schultz type candidacy. Oh, would be so good. Or, you know, Michael Bloomberg that uh, a bunch of, you know, media libs or our Tom Watson type, yeah, yeah. Uh, our literal Tom Watson would make a big show of supporting uh, and would end up polling at less than 1%. Yeah. It's amazing the way that these people convince themselves that they have like a genuine social base. It just speaks to the fact that most of them have never left like a particular area in which them and all their journo friends hang out, right? It's madness. Their like ideology, which is we don't have any ideology. We just support the way everything is because the way everything is is obviously the way it always has to be. Is just non-existent. You had that guy, um, uh, what's it, Chuck... Uh... Chuck Ramuna. Yeah. yeah. He's rem- now a Lib Dem. Wonderful. I Delightful. know, right? Let's not forget Mike Gapes. Mike Gapes! <laughs> <laughs> let's not forget, let's, please let us not forget Mike Gapes. Oh, yeah, that's that's some good stuff. You know what I thought was hilarious? The This Yang guy who had this hilarious like list of terms. Wait, and you it was also like have power. an Andrew Yang. Huh? No, you're Andrew Yang. Oh, our Andrew Yang. Do you remember, oh. he did that list of things and it was like power point he added like a bunch he like had a load of I slogans that. i don't remember have you not this. seen this no. i saw no. this the other day he had like a bunch of slogans um and and like that were like broadly left wing and he'd like change them to make them liberal so it was like uh no automation without compensation like yeah power point <laughs> he changed power to powerpoint Wonderful. i need to say that this is really funny <laughs> Uh, but anyway, you know, uh, the for us, it was such a shock in the uh, last election in 2017 mm-hmm. when, you know, Corbyn beat the polls and he denied May another majority. And it seemed like, you know, an hour before the polls closed, everyone thought like that was the end of the road for Corbynism, mm-hmm. which was really this big strike, you know, in the global fight against austerity yeah. in the electoral arena. Uh, and then he gets 40 percent of the vote. Yeah. And it seemed for a while that you know, just judging by the polls and the failures of May and the whole Brexit mess that, you know, he was for a while well positioned to go into an election and maintain, you know, uh, uh, at minimum a a uh, tie with the conservatives and with a good shot of forming a government. But now it seems that the Brexit issue itself has totally shuffled the deck and made it that much more. If If that mm-hmm. is the most salient issue, I mean, I can't even really figure out. I know, I know this is a thing a lot of people say, but, you know, as a foreign observer, I can't even really figure out what the strong Corbyn platform on Brexit is just because yeah. it's such an intractable issue. I mean, it's also like a boring issue, oh, right? Yeah, I absolutely. mean, you know, like ultimately the position is have another referendum. And there are reasons to, to, for like people on the left not to like the European Union, right? In the same way that like left internationalism, yeah. yeah, left yeah. internationalism here doesn't mean like supporting the IMF. Um, so, you know, we're going to have that debate at some point and there is, there are interesting things to say about it. But right now, you know, if you're thinking about like a left populist platform, you're just not really talking that much about Brexit because obviously, you know, what Corbynism did in 2017, well, like got some ways to doing anyway, was make salient again, the class divide in society. He talked about the many and the few, he Mm -hmm. literally labor and capital, the 1% and the 99%. That's the coalition that the left needs to mobilize here in the in the UK, whatever. And it requires uniting people who have a bunch, bunch of different views on like culture and like where they shop and, you know, all this stuff t- into a class-based project. Right. But with the Brexit issue as what is right now the most salient issue in the election, because it is literally the reason for the election, 
I like on those terms, I think there's broad agreement that Jez will lose if this election is about Brexit. If it's about Brexit, right. right. And actually what we're seeing is because everyone has been like spending the last three years listening constantly to this bullshit whilst yeah. their lives get so much worse, mm-hmm. it's not ending up being about Brexit. It's about the fact that Jacob Rees-Mogg hates people who live in social housing. It's about like Tory MPs trying to defend the existence of billionaires. It's like about really like deep class stuff because we've learned the like how to message in a way that is oppositional but in the short term in the past few weeks labor's numbers have gone down and up. in the past I'm, okay i'm talking yeah. in the past uh, the window of the past few months rather okay yeah uh labor's numbers have gone down and comparably the lib dem numbers have gone up last election the lib dems put all their uh put all their chips on anti-Brexit. We're just not going to do yeah. Brexit if you elect us. We're, our party is a referendum on Brexit. And they got plastered. They got owned. But this time around, it's the same essential message, supposedly. Like, we are the only firm anti-Brexit party. You know, we're not squishes like uh, 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 Labour. And, you know, uh, with Corbyn being himself soft pro-Brexit. And they've been so far rewarded in the polls. I mean... The Lib Dem message is now revoke Article 50, which is like the most extreme remain position you can get. And the Labour position is have a second referendum, which is what was the Lib Dem position Mm -hmm. basically in the last election. So like in many ways, like the remain element of the party is winning out. And that's, you know, whatever. That's what's happening. It's in in many ways what was inevitable. If we were just angling for the remain votes, then yeah, we Mm. would be screwed. But what you've seen literally since the campaign has started, so since, you know, journalists have had to start being a bit more impartial, since um, yeah, since <laughs> well, Corbyn has got out on the campaign trail. Well, yeah, actually, this is, I was, uh, this is a really interesting thing that I always forget about UK elections. Because I remember, like, the last time in 2017, it seemed like a, like a long shot. Like, everyone had, like, just, yeah. just absolutely written the RIP Corbyn and, like, you know, the like, RIP Corbyn's labor. And then he came out of nowhere against the poll and, like, shocked everyone with yeah. that upset. And then, like, the thing is, it looks bad, again, like, and leading up to it now, it looks bad for Labour again now. But, again, what I always forget is as truly awful as the the British press is. And, like, they make our press look good. Yeah. The hilarious thing is that as soon as a general election actually happens, they are they immediately become straitjacketed by very, very, like, tight rules about neutrality yeah. and how they cover an election. So they basically, like, they for the chunk of time of the election like and what happened last time is they had to start covering Corbyn and yeah. the Labour manifesto like as an actual thing and do it in a fairly like in a in neutral an actually neutral balanced ma- manner yeah they have to have people like me on to, to talk about it and you know they have to they give an like equal that. platform to Jews and to anti <laughs> <laughs> no. but isn't that so I mean I, I, I think that that a remain position is like a, a perfectly reasonable defensible position yeah. for someone on the left uh, uh, whether or not we in this room agree with it yeah. necessarily so isn't that isn't that very tempting for a remainer to go over to the Lib Dems I mean but the Lib Dems aren't gonna win so if you are, if you are performatively saying I have an identity that is I am a Lib Dem voter then yeah you're gonna vote for the Lib Dems if you are actually someone <laughs> That's who is cons- very funny <laughs> yeah, if you're concerned about Brexit you're gonna vote for the party that will give you you know, the only credible way out of this mess of your remainder which is a second referendum well this is a second referendum just a message that hey this thing you hate we're gonna keep talking about and have another vote over it yeah 
kind of, but you know, Remainers lost the last one. So mm. the chance to have another go is like, you know, is big for them. I mean, personally, I think that they'd lose again, but that's besides yeah. the point. Ultimately, so this is, so this is a sop to Remainers. Basically. It is. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, like Remain has been, and part of the reason, you know, Watson and all the other people on the right of the party, Chucker, Amuna, et cetera, who after the referendum said, we need to respect the result of the referendum um, and basically thought that they could win by like, you know, like giving over a bit of racism whilst also maintaining that they're like shit uh, non-left economics um, have now been like gone hard on remain basically because they thought it would undermine Corbyn. Um, But now he, and because of that, he's had to come a little bit more remainy and is now, you know, the party is, is much more remainy and, and, there will be a second referendum and most Labour MPs will support Remain. And rounding it out, uh, you know, Boris also has a flag to worry about with the oh, Brexit yeah. party. Bo- Boris, is, Boris is, both of his flanks are very weak. He has two soft underbellies, one of which is going to be... I've seen number of chins as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, because he's vulnerable to the Lib Dems in... Because, you know, the Lib Dems are just like similar to people on the right of the Tory party. They're just neoliberals who like to think of themselves as, you know, cosmopolitan. Um, So he will be vulnerable in like cities amongst people who like who have jobs that are vulnerable in like in Brexit, professional services, that sort of stuff. Like people who think of themselves as nice liberals. Right. So they have liberal politics, neoliberal politics, but they're nice because they, you know, don't hate gays or whatever yeah 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 so um, a few months ago you know when labor's numbers were going down uh uh and the uh, tied to lib dem numbers going up uh conservative numbers also went down and the brexit party surged yeah so like the the tories are vulnerable to the lib dems on that side and to the brexit party on the other side right because like most now current brexit voters brexit party voters were our former tories rather than being former labor party and they're voters. so and and farage's extreme position is what no deal yeah, I th- yeah, I mean that is basically what they'll campaign on. I think. I think. Yeah, I think that's basically what they'll campaign on. Is no deal. As far as like, uh, like the Corbyn's Labour Party's position via Brexit is like, is it's a hard one to do. And you think like, because you know, like Corbyn himself is basically kind of like, as we said, basically kind of pro Brexit. And you know, in this room, there are many good like left wing reasons to want to get out of the EU mm. if you are in the UK. However, do you think it's tough for him as far as trying to craft a populist left-wing message when so much of the Brexit energy and political movement is tied up with anti-immigrant sort of nativist racism? Yeah, 100%. So I mean, it's, re- it's like, I mean, it's really hard to make that case if you're talking about austerity and how like you don't want to give Belgium like a veto power over your, you know, uh, debt to GDP yeah. ratio yeah. or budget when like, you know, for, for the people like constituents or just people in the streets are like, you know, feeling the energy of like all of the energy and focus about Brexit is about getting immigrants and, you know, non-white people or even yeah. non or Eastern European people out of the country. Yeah. And I mean, this is a way in which the referendum has been very, very functional to the people in power. You know, there's a lot of talk about how ultimately Brexit will harm capitalists and like big business doesn't want it. And to an extent that's true, but it has, you know, it's similar to like how the far right has managed to like uh, mobilize support amongst normal people in society. Whereas previously, you know, for a while they've been just, you know, racist in the background, like mm-hmm. having, you know, protests about shit that no one else cares about. They've been able to kind of boost their support since the financial crisis because obviously, you know, there are a bunch of parts of the world where people have been screwed over, not just for the last 10 years, but the last 40 years by a form of very extractive financial globalization that has led to, you know, the emergence of massive multinational corporations that's seen their jobs offshore, that's seen their wages eroded, et cetera. 
And in the absence of a left that was able to kind of talk about those concerns in a way that linked them to an analysis of class, the right picks them up and says, the reason that all this stuff is happening is because, you know, a bunch of brown people have moved into your neighborhood, right? So that that is the way in which you know, the Brexit situation did not just kind of randomly emerge and screw over the Corbyn project. It was, it's in many ways part of the same thing. It's part of this backlash against like, you know, financial globalization against capitalism. And the thing about Corbynism is that the only way that it is successful, the only way that any socialist project is successful is if it mobilizes people based on those concerns, but transforms it into a class project and actually says, all of us who work for a wage have something in common and some of us are more exploited than others because that's functional for capitalism to create different kind of sections of the working class that can be subject to different layers of exploitation and for those people to be oppressed and like shat on by everyone else. But actually don't, you know, like look at the people that are shitting on you from up there. Don't like <clears throat> pick up their shit and start throwing it at each other. Watching from afar, I got I to bring this up because like it is one of the genuinely most surreal things to observe about UK politics from America what, like how much like is this Corbyn is an anti-Semite thing? Has that gained more or less traction? Because I just see it being talked about all the time. And I always wonder, like, what are these people actually referring to as far as his anti-Semitic beliefs or yeah, I mean, statements? There's always this thing about how on like some areas of the left where you don't have a good analysis of class that tilts into like conspiratorialism, right? And it's like you Rothschild, start talking about bankers, yeah, like and Rothschild media bankers. elites and exactly, things like that in yeah. a way that's like like is actively anti-Semitic. Um, and there's been like one maybe major thing which was there was this mural that looked like it was basically kind of alluding to that type of conspiratorial mindset and Corbyn... is it the denver international airport or <laughs> no oh, okay. right, different, right, different mural, different mural. Okay. and corbin basically like it looked like he was defending it on facebook and the there there is some stuff that's linked to that within the labor party and i mean i'm sure you see it on the left in the u.s people who spend way too much time on youtube being like yeah like you know rob the rothschilds rule the world but like the, no, the main thing has been an attempt to delegitimize defense of Palestinians, right? Yeah. So, you know, basically the, it, it's functional for the right to be able to take this like actual anti-Semitic shit that does circulate and like lump it in with any criticism of Israel and basically make it so that if you try to say, I'm defending Palestinians, then you are automatically an anti-Semite who also believes the Rothschilds rule the world, right? I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess like maybe it's like the Jewish community, like in America and the UK, are different. But like, doesn't it give any of these people pause? Like the, these people, like the laborers, like I could never vote for Corbyn now because that will make officially Labour an anti-Semitic party. Does it not give them pause at all that the people who are like most passionately pushing this idea that like you know Corbyn is a just cannot we can never cross that line into hatred are all literally part of like the vampire like british ruling class who like dress like nazis for fun and like all went to schools where like you know if there was one jewish kid there they were like i don't know pelted with oranges or hit with, <laughs> hit with paddles or something like that like yeah i mean i guess but also what uh, what they've managed to do is marginalize all the left jews in in the uk right like for some unknown reason there is now like if you say this like person who is uh like jewish and supports corbyn and whatever says actually that you know i still support corbyn and for these reasons they're somehow like the wrong kind of jew and that's just something that's become accepted in this weird way oh same here yeah same here that they've 
made that argument explicitly. I've seen. Oh, yeah. I just especially think that's about, like anti-Semitic as shit. Oh, it is. Especially <laughs> they they say it explicitly about a, a friend of the show, Ellie Valley. Yeah. It's just like I, a white guy, a white Gentile, gets to define who is and who isn't a legitimate Jew. It's insane. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I guess I don't have much more thought that. Like, I mean, I, I said a long time ago, it's like either you can support Corbyn and just know that you're going to have to be deal with this shit, or like, or if you if you can get pushed off your you know platform that easily, then like maybe you, maybe you shouldn't care about politics that much to begin with. But yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, finally, actually, I actually want to get to one more uh, UK character. We talked about the the Lib Dems. Could you explain a little bit uh, who Joe Swinson is and, w- and what her her deal is? I hear I, she's a Tory. That's basically the message. She's again. She's one of the nice Tories. She's like free markets are great, but I don't actually hate you know like ethnic minorities, gay people, and women. And I am a woman, so how could I possibly hate them? It doesn't matter that like austerity has disproportionately damaged. So like, that's women that's essentially just being a Cameron Tory. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like they have a lot in common. There was a reason that there was a coalition between the Lib Dems and and uh, the Conservatives. And uh, this is my favorite thing. I remember back in uh, 2017 um, where they did like the the debates, and it was just like an audience full of the you know the the red faced um, you know the gammons as yeah you yeah, would yeah call the gammon yeah, yeah. The, the gammon contingency do you guys have a thing for gammon here uh, chud is what we call chud. them on chud, our show yeah. a gammon just... is a type of ham yes yes, yes exactly oh because Steamed they look like ham, ham. oh yeah, yes oh, like that's hams. very good yeah we don't have the word gammon is the thing. I feel like gammon is not as much of a delicacy here. No. You guys don't really uh, yeah. eat that much pork, do you? Well, I don't oh, know. But, well, I mean, <laughs> we eat a fair amount of pork, okay. but it's processed into strange Oh, it's like form. that horrible bacon like, stuff. Like right there. That's that's. Oh, is that? That's a hot dog, though. Oh, indeed. Oh, wait. Yeah, that is pork. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, no, there's like that. We're like, there's all the gammons asking Corbin, like, all right, would you would you launch the Trident missiles right now if we told you to? And he was just like, "No, are you fucking insane?" And then the media was like, "Corbin is over. He cannot possibly be PM. He said he wouldn't preemptively uh, start World War Three. It's over." I saw you just yesterday. Joe Swinson said apparently one of the first acts you do if you are able to form a government as prime minister is give the order to the Trident nuclear submarines to like yeah, yeah and yeah that's, you're you're good to that's go why. Like, green light in case you ever get uh, the yeah. call and she was like she said I don't think Corbin you know would give that order Corbin wouldn't do the nuclear holocaust so he's not fit to leave <laughs> yeah exactly. It's also insane to give that order because it's solely at that point. Yeah, it's, it's it, there's no deterrent. Yeah, there's no there's deterrent. No deterrent I don't understand how people don't get that as soon as someone launches a nuclear missile, everyone is basically dead. Like everyone goes into panic mode. It's like that scene in uh, Doctor Strange Love where everyone's just fucking pressing the like missiles and everyone dies because everyone's freaking out and it's all just a bunch of men who are in control and they're like, I don't want to be the last one to push the nuclear button. They're all dead. Well, the idea is like, <laughs> I don't want to die. Like, I'm like, we're fucked. The missiles are already in the air. But, Let's like, take you, some you, people down with be, us. I'll, I'll be damned if I'm going to go out without yes. ending all life on the rest of the planet <laughs> Earth, you know? Well, the real science fiction ending I like to imagine is that there's just been a long-running conspiracy among physicists uh, the people, who, the engineers and physicists who actually uh, designed the nuclear weapons, and that none of them work. 
Absolutely wow. out of the board. And that the, your, that the, the button that Trump has and that Putin has and that, and that Boris anything. has, it's, a, it's just a busy it's box. It's like one of those staples buttons that you just get. It's just like. I mean, were that true, honestly, brilliant plan because it probably has averted, uh, you know, all out war between, for instance, America and the Soviet Union. Yeah. Like, like we, we, if we could actually, you know, uh, one day it's going to be revealed that every president actually has launched nukes at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and this has all been just a psychological test. Or like, and then, Nuclear power itself, like all those power plants, it's just coal. Yeah, it's just coal. <laughs> it's just more, all that it's stuff you coal. see coming out of the top, it's just regular smoke. It's, not, it's all made up. No, yeah. trust us, this works. It's it's uh, atom gamma radiation, and then everyone's like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, um, would you like to uh, now make a transition into uh, a reading series for to round out the show? Oh, sure. Uh, is, I, I, is it UK flavor? It, it is not UK flavor. It is written by a Scottish woman. So I guess okay. it is UK. For, oh, so, so, yeah, right. The from United the English kingdom, kingdom of the Scotland. Kingdom. We had yeah. this at the beginning. Scotland right. is part of it. Oh, the, the, the but North... the actual subject matter of it is not related whatsoever. Well, Scotland, to... also called Northern England. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you told people when you were in Glasgow. Yes. And then, they uh, loved it. Yeah, they yeah, loved it. We made a hasty exit from it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so now this is, um, first of all, I don't know if you saw this. I saw it this morning, and it was one of the funniest things I've, I've read all year. Uh, it's been a while since we've checked in on the, uh, the, uh, the war. And by the war, I mean the war on bathrooms by sickos. Oh, yes. The bathroom wars. Yes, the long night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is, comes courtesy of the National Review. It is titled, Against Gender Neutral Bathrooms. <laughs> I feel like that article's never been written before. This must be super original content right here. Oh, it it goes places. That's that's for sure. Just right off the bat, you know that that is just an unpopular opinion. Period. Because everyone looks forward to one the single occupancy gender neutral cubicle bathroom. Yeah, because you can skip the queue. Yeah, you, and you, there's also you know. Um, you know, you could do drugs in there. Yeah, right. I was oh, say, and that, yeah, yeah, right. No, yeah, right. As opposed to like, oh, uh, here's a place with just a, a row of urinals oh, right. or something. It's like, <laughs> yeah. right, what like am a, I going to do yeah, here? Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so this is Against Gender Neutral Bathrooms. This is in the pages of the National Review by someone named Madeline, uh, Madeline Kearns, who is, uh, is Scottish. And you will see some of the, the Scottish stuff um, in her writing. It definitely comes through. So uh, subhead, they're pointless, wasteful, and sexist. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Galaxy brain. So he goes, uh, she begins here. I was out for lunch at a Manhattan restaurant with my friend's daughter, an exceptionally classy seven-year-old. <laughs> wow. Okay? All right, so that's the first... Already. That's the first sentence, and there's already a lot going on here. How did I guess that? Uh, she was out Very for... Very She was out for, at a Manhattan restaurant for a power lunch with a seven-year-old <laughs> who was not her child. And was her friend wasn't even with her. Oh wait, the friend wasn't there. No, no, no. She's just I wow. taken my friend's classy seven year old to lunch at a Manhattan restaurant. So her that? saying she's classy is basically a way of being like it's okay. It's, she's not because yeah. it was basically like Sex in the City. This is yeah, exactly, yeah. They're having cosmos. <laughs> yeah, as you will see, they will talk about boys eventually. Uh, but it was, uh, it was on the Upper East Side on a certain uh, block where certain <laughs> mansion resides, where, like they say, uh, proper attire required. They say proper attire and child required. <laughs> Uh, this is like one of the negotiations that Trump talks about. <laughs> I just did a fantastic deal with a Mr. Fisher and a Mr. Price. <laughs> uh, please, may I go to the bathroom by myself, she asked. Yes, but no dilly-dallying, I replied, and off she went. 
striding briskly, blonde curls abouncing, straight into an all-gender bathroom. This sounds like, you guys don't have it over here, but we had these like Enid Blyton novels called like The Naughtiest Girl in the School, which was like, <laughs> Enid walked down the street, her blonde curls bouncing, and out, po- out popped a, like, you know, something. Uh, well, just, like, weird. well, I'm just imagining this woman, uh, you know, wa- watching this like Fauntleroy-ish uh, child go off to the bathroom and seeing the bathroom door close behind her like bobbing curls and once the woman sees the male female all gender sign on it just like the kill bill sirens started going off in the background her eyes turn blood red so this is this is great right here striding briskly blonde curls a bouncing straight into an all gender restroom oh dear as she entered this unlocked lockable room great writing here as she entered this unlocked lockable room Three little boys were now in full view, urinating around one toilet. <laughs> you know. Three musketeers, they're crossing swords. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a pee-pee gang. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a piss gang. This is like, this is like a, a 1910s like Coca-Cola ad where they're all wearing like uh, overalls with like one cheek hanging out the back. So he goes, now in full view, urinating around one toilet. Perturbed, if not alarmed, my young friend immediately burst back out, gave me a big wave as if to say, oops, and don't worry. She turned on her heel, disappearing around the corner. A moment passed. One by one, the heads of three naughty little boys popped out. It's just like, like one above the other, like the three stooges <laughs> looking around a corner or something. All in one big cut. Yeah. <laughs> the well, that's how they got into yeah. the, gender, the adult gender-neutral bathroom. <laughs> yes. They were wearing a long trench coat on each other's shoulders. Uh, uh, so he goes, um, one by one, uh, the heads of three naughty little boys popped out. Scheming and snickering with cat-like tread, they traced my wee pal's route. So he goes, terrifying and immediate was my arrival on the scene, scattering the would-be tormentors. What is this person's writing? Terrifying and immediate was my arrival on the scene. Yep. That is an appalling sentence structure. This is uh, this is done with like the the verbiage and style of like an A. Milne story. Yes, this is what uh, I mean. Just but about like yeah. modern gender panic. <laughs> so you guys here uh, scattering the would be tormentors. Those boys are trying to peek on me. She said. I like that she also like the, the girl is seven years old. She doesn't describe how old the boys are. I'm assuming yeah. around the same age, which brings up, which was like, what kind of lunch is this? Is this a Chuck E. Cheese? Or what, what the fuck? Why are there so many children in this goddamn restaurant? Uh, I only peeked on them by accident. Little boys are little savages, I told her gently, adding that very few improve with age. More importantly, I explained... Hashtag feminism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More importantly, I explained that gender-neutral bathrooms were only recently invented. Okay, a couple things here. A couple things here. <laughs> a couple things here. One, she's telling her incredibly bright and precocious friend's child that um, uh, boys are little monsters who will grow into even worse adults, and your lot in life as a woman is just to endure that. And oh, God. You should just like you get used to being mistreated by men. It's just the way things are. Oh. But then when she says gender-neutral bathrooms were just recently invented, it's like, if you've ever been in someone's house, you've used a gender-neutral bathroom. I'm pretty sure that, like, gendered bathrooms are in the long scope of human history the things that have only been invented. Yeah, 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 when you consider that private public bathrooms uh, started existing in, like, 1945, maybe. Do seven-year-olds have a conception of gender? Uh, well, if you berate it into them at this <laughs> yeah. age, like this woman is doing. I think it's when they doing. start, yeah. I think they've started, like, you know, being socialized into 
into talking about that by then. Well, I mean, like ideally, self awareness kicks in at around seven, but hopefully before then, your parents will have given you the proper either GI Joe or truck and or princess yes. or you know teddy bear based yeah. uh, uh, toys and you know amusements. So yeah, you will have learned about it by then. I explained that gender neutral bathrooms were only very recently invented. It's like fucking yeah, indoor plumbing was very recently invented. <laughs> Before that, everyone was using the gender neutral ditch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just slop bucket out yeah. the window. Uh, and evidently, by some very careless and wasteful people who don't mind sacrificing the privacy, hygiene, and camaraderie of the female toilet experience. I saw the female toilet experience on tour in 1987. <laughs> so, yeah, um, are you a fan of the female toilet experience? To be fair, that is actually a thing. Yeah, sure. But I feel like having like guys in there as well wouldn't be... I, I don't know. Like, It's just women, when they are drunk and in the toilets, like talk to each other about a whole bunch of stuff. This is definitely something that happens. And like talk to each other through the stools. I've heard some shit about people like crying in there and then someone like leaning over and talking to them. But there's no reason that this couldn't happen in like gender neutral bathrooms because well, they would does. also have to have stools. Because that's the that's the cocaine experience. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? That's cool. Yeah. yeah Ingesting uh, substances. Yeah. I was just trying to gatekeep the female toilet experience for men because as we know in a men's bathroom in public if you, you not, if you make eye contact other. with another man there's a 50 percent chance but you'll end up in the hospital you can see each other's like dicks right well yeah, it's just only a if very emotionally yeah. i always wonder about that experience. you guys like you must well, know where depends. you stand well, in, like, no, the okay, like, we're not the ones being interviewed here <laughs> <laughs> well you know if it's a row of urinals you know, a classy establishment will have the splash guard. Yes. A very clear demarcation, you know, to prevent <laughs> any, any cheeky uh, cock spotting. And you, right. go, to the, and you go to the physically furthest it, point if there's in not, the bathroom. Yeah, but you, you have to go to the... To yes, you have to, if, if it is a row of empty ones and you're taking a leak there and a guy <laughs> comes up and stands right next to you, that is the most extreme <laughs> violation of, of social customs and yes. norms imaginable. But that's, but that's cultural. It, in Berlin, there's no dividers. Yeah. And it's often a trough system. Wow. I think, yeah, I feel like well, that might be... Well, we know the reason for that, Virgil. Let's, <laughs> let's leave that for Yeah, because episode. it's the ideal society. <laughs> yeah. It's a free culture. Well, I was going to say, the, uh, the, the male bathroom experience is uh, business only. And by that, I mean um, having sex with one another. <laughs> so, silently without making <laughs> eye contact. Yeah. Um, okay, there are three good reasons to be against gender-neutral bathrooms. One, they are pointless. Two, they are wasteful. Three, they are sexist. So, uh, pointless. Polling consistently shows that most Americans care. Uh, most Americans care most about bread and peace. <laughs> the, the bathroom long. <laughs> Nate Golden. <laughs> Uh, they do not generally give much thought to potty policies. And so... So the, the reason that these are pointless is that people care more about bread and not going to war than bathrooms. So any other issue is just off the it's agenda. pointless. Yeah, exactly. I totally. mean, to be fair, I would be all right with that. If we refocus the entire conversation in the US about not having wars, that would be fine. Yeah, if politics is like purely the domain of like, you know, poverty and prosperity and war and peace... Yeah, fair enough. That's like, yeah, that's good with us. Um, 
he goes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, nevertheless, many in the metropolitan elites like to accuse the Trump administration of having targeted transgender people simply because of the laws they've tried to pass that target transgender people. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm adding, I'm editorializing. Uh, by reversing Obama-era policies, they say Trump and company have robbed trans people of safe and pleasant bathroom experiences. But isn't anyone curious how it all worked before Obama? And why is no one complaining about the various presidents before Trump who held the same approach to sex-segregated bathrooms? Uh, Lyndon Johnson was about... We know for sure he was a bathroom warrior. <laughs> he did a lot of business in the bathroom and would use it to get politics done by showing people his penis while he was in the oh, bathroom. Oh, I did hear yeah. that. That was a thing. He like actually like made people come into he the bathroom. He would make... According to Robert Caro. Like, yeah. yeah, this is in open. the Robert Caro books. He would make people follow... Like White House staffers and Congress people he was berating yeah. follow him into the John... He would start pissing and then turn around full facing and he's like, this, this is why you're going to get it done, basically. Wow. And famously, he was the most well-endowed president in American history. Is that a fact? It isn't. It's according to Robert Caro. I mean, I don't know when they started keeping records on this. Is that on, on Wikipedia? I would imagine Lincoln was probably, you know, well, just based he's on, tall. He's tall. Johnson, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's... We've John, already that's established that Teddy Roosevelt had a yeah. small penis. Yes. Uh, Johnson, uh, no, according this actually, is, shit, that like Johnson is his name. Yeah, and, and he, that's like he called his 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 cock Jumbo as well. I'm yeah. just saying, like, Robert Caro, probably the most celebrated historian of Amer- American yes. history. Okay, so it's uh, a fact. He, he, this is pretty pretty well confirmed. Uh, Johnson would often joke about when he was out on a boat. Uh, when he would take a leak off the side of the boat, he would say, "Anyone want to know how what the, how the water's like?" <laughs> uh, so, I guess uh, what's more. It's not like presenting as the opposite sex is particularly new human behavior. Since the 1960s, a tiny number of individuals have made a serious surgical commitment in more closely resembling the opposite sex. Life was, and no doubt is, difficult for such people. But how might this ideally play out? That is context-dependent, naturally. But if for argument's sake we presume such a person to be sincere and well-meaning as opposed to, say, a predator... <laughs> yeah, thank you for assuming that, uh, Madeline. Very generous of you. Uh, then a natural relationship of trust might ensue. One where a woman washing her hands at the bathroom sink might do a double take, realizing that she is in the presence of a man, but after carrying out an instinctual and internal risk assessment, <laughs> all is fine. How is this less complex than just having a row of stalls that anyone can when, use? When my like, gender HUD display comes yeah. up and I do a tactical gender uh, analysis. But like, what I don't get about this is that, I mean, presumably, a lot of these people are like basically have a go at trans folk on the basis that um you know gender is social construct is socially constructed therefore you know playing into uh social constructions and femininity is uh, feeds into patriarchy right but reinforcing gender binaries in this way by basically saying gender is exists it's biological the only time that we've had anyone experimenting with gender was since the 1960s when we know that like it throughout like, history, literally the dawn of time different cultures have very different understandings of gender also like intersex people continue to exist like whatever she's just basically saying there are men and there are women and men are naturally scary and women are naturally afraid of them. And that's just life, kids. But what she's saying here is like before we started being aware of this, there may be someone who was trans who went in a woman's bathroom. And then like she's just saying like you could run game theory in your head as to whether they're a threat to you or not. Whereas like she's saying that gender neutral bathrooms are pointless because they obviate the need for this kind of ca- thought process in your head. Yeah, but because be she's like, just saying she can't be the gender cop anymore. Yeah, okay. Right. 
after the, after carrying out an instinctual and internal risk assessment, decide all is fine. She might even smile and say hello, but that is her prerogative, surely. The man in this rare hypothetical ought not to have a legal right to be there. I, can I very is, that, is it illegal to go into a woman's bathroom or a man's bathroom? Depends on the jurisdiction. Oh, really? I guess, uh, but I mean, like, okay, but like, what's interesting here is that, like, for years now. Uh, the right wing in this country has, is, you know, as far as like as as tr- you know, trans people and issues become more and more in our consciousness. Like the bat, like they've given up the ghost on gay marriage, but then like we know yeah. we know for sure, like according to like internal minutes of like some big conservative, you know, cultural conservative Christian political group after they had lost the Supreme Court decision. They they just basically did a tactical retreat on all gay issues, yeah. which was not that long ago that like gay rights and gay yeah, marriage yeah, yeah, was yeah. like the front and center like most burning like social culture war issue mm. in our country. Well, but they had been winning as recently as a decade ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now it's all that's completely gone. And what would, they've done would, consciously is reformatted the same exact fight, but to make people afraid of trans people instead of yeah. gay people. Which is why this article is so interesting to me because I remember the Bathroom Warriors stuff. That was big. That was like Chapo season one stuff. Like in yeah. the first 50 episodes, there were a lot of things about that. And then it's kind of gone away, which made me think, after the, you know, along with the abandonment of like gay marriage as an issue, it, it just seemed like I was surprised to hear that this was the topic of the reading series because it just reminded me of uh, <clears throat> thinking of Jacob Wall releasing another press conference and being asked about his last scandal and being like, oh, yeah, we're done with that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's interesting. Like, I mean, it was like that is like Chapo Mark one, the bathroom warrior thing. And it was like always in the context of like Ben Shapiro or someone being like. Are you telling me that my daughter is going to see a man's penis in a bathroom? And I'm just like, wait a second. Like, that just comes down to like, you don't know how a ladies room or any public bathroom works. <laughs> yes. Like, you just, go, yeah. the gals just go in there, As drop we, trow and pee in there. <laughs> literally just, <gasps> Shit. yeah, spend yeah. two, three minutes talking yeah. about, you do not see penises in guys' bathrooms because you're <laughs> trying as hard as you can. Not to. But also, presumably, a gender-neutral bathroom is one in which you don't have urinals. You just have stalls. No, yeah, exactly. You just have stalls. Well, they can have urinals also. Yeah, why not? Sure. Why not? I mean, honestly, probably make the line a little quicker. I mean, this is the actual issue when it comes down to, you know... Men and women peeing and I mean, public you know, spaces. Romans had public bathrooms, yeah. and it was just everyone like <coughs> but, d- d- shitting out their doo doo ass. <laughs> but uh, okay, but my point about this is like this new like iteration of the culture wars. It used to be like all the trans people like bathroom panic was based on the idea that like. Uh, sickos were going to pretend to be women to go into women's bathrooms and do, uh, you know, attack women and girls, right? Or like, uh, so now they've like they've reformatted it. So like, it's taken them years to realize that like a public bathroom is not just like one big trough where everyone pisses and shits in. So now that they've come to gender neutral bathrooms, they're saying no, it's the privacy is actually the problem. So like, it's just it's just their new way to like invent a problem yeah. that doesn't exist mm-hmm. because like. The actual, like, in the few places that have them now, first of all, half of every bar in New York City de facto has gender-neutral bathrooms because there's just two toilets that anyone can use. Because, I mean, there's a premium on space. There's a premium on space. I mean, also, let's talk about, yeah, the financialization of real estate, but maybe... (laughs) (laughs) The ones that now have gender-neutral bathrooms, it's like a row of, like, not stalls, but, like, floor-to-ceiling doors. So it's like it affords you a much higher degree of privacy to, you know, do drugs or take care of business. Um, and then like a communal sink area, which is like, again, if you have that obviates any problems for like privacy or whatever, it's just but men and women washing their hands together between the sexes. And we all know where that leads to <laughs> underage pregnancies, all sorts of, you know, sin, damnation. Yes, exactly. So which brings us to the next one. If you want to talk about real estate, uh, wasteful, how much do these pointless gender neutral, 
Well, she's saying it's pointless, but like essentially the gender neutral bathrooms solve a problem that they that didn't exist that they were obsessed with in the first place. <laughs> and now they're saying it's pointless and wasteful to do anything about, again, the imaginary problem that only they were concerned with to begin with. What is she, the gender accountant? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fourth quarter estimates, we can't afford gender. <laughs> so a wasteful just talks about how costs, the conversion costs, conversion? it's just, the, just having locks on the door, blah, blah, blah. This wow. is this is boring, but it's it's also like an amazing thing to say. Like if we combine two bathrooms into one bathroom, that is actually more bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, sexist. To be clear, single single stalls are still miserable for women who make up, lest we forget, half the world's population. First, women are cleaner than men. Women do not stand and aim at the toilet, but sit on a seat. In case anyone had uh, forgotten about that, uh, they rarely misfire. They rarely get pee on the floor. Okay. I have it on good authority from a friend of mine who used to work as a janitor in an office building that the idea that um, the women's rooms are cleaner than the men's rooms yeah, I mean, you've is got all a sorts of shit going on in there. Myth. You've got like periods. You've got, you know, women all the off- women having sex with each other, <laughs> which obviously happens all the time. Also, uh, uh, women will also often uh, not fully sit down on the seat because of germs. And I'm That's sorry, you miss, true. you miss all the time that when you do that as well. That is 100% true, especially at like nightclubs and shit. Yeah. 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 So the idea that to say that women's rooms are cleaner than men's public toilets, um, that is sexist in my opinion and inaccurate. Uh, they always flush and almost always wash their hands. Second, women take... How long- is women washing their hands going to affect this in any way? Actually, I mean, by my calculation, washing your hands actually makes it dirtier uh, because it allows another vector for water splashing. Yes. Uh, yeah. you know, oh, so that's true. Succumb, you know, it, it, if we're talking about clean, pure... Bathroom purity, the less wa- less water discharging in the bathroom, Presumably, the cleaner it's Maybe going we to could be. come up with a way of just making sure that nobody peed or pooped. Yes. And then that would be the ideal. <laughs> well, obviously, that's the society I mean, we're all going yeah. yeah, This yeah. is Wasn't there a big argument in like the American church about whether or not Jesus peed and pooed? No, was I there? I feel like that was a thing. That sounds like that's something. That's got to be some like, obscure Catholic. Maybe I yeah. made that up. <laughs> I remember in, actually, in the, this, wow, this takes me back to, to college, but in the in medieval Christianity, there was a huge debate about <clears throat> whether uh, the Virgin Mary actually gave birth to Jesus Christ through the traditional, you know, out of the yeah, vagina. Out of the vagina. <laughs> or there were some uh, who said that she was such a pure being that Jesus emerged just sort of out of like light through her heart. Right, yeah. <laughs> it was like, you know. Like a completely immaculate. But that bird. is what vaginas yeah. are. They're light? just light. Like a, they're just like a, l- a little light bulb up in there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, no, Do you guys no, not know that? Wow. <laughs> this is, you're talking to a nerd audience here. <laughs> so this is, this, is, this, this will come as a shock to many of both the hosts and listeners. That's going to be a future episode. Well, she goes, third, partly for safety and partly in honoring an age-old ritual, women often go to the bathroom in numbers. Some will touch on makeup. Others will, if the line is too long, have a chin wag while there. But, like, not in the same fucking bathroom stall. It's all, it's all at the sink, you know, after you do your business in the stall. That's true. But I suppose if there are men at the sink, you, you may feel, like, in a group of women... You probably like a, a certain kind of uh, social censorship that you won't go as full. But like, on. if anything, it would be the other way around. If women go in in packs, they'll like talk and be really loud, and they'll scare the shit out of the men who are just there by themselves, and all the women are being like, "Oh my god, this guy did this, and he's a fucking brick." The the men will just get scared because they don't go in packs. All men will start going in packs, and we'll start building new forms of solidarity. Yes. Maybe the people will intermingle. <laughs> So I'm just going to skip ahead to the end here. It says, so why are colleges and businesses now spending millions of dollars in millions com- of dollars, yeah, millions <laughs> of dollars in accommodating the demands of activists supposedly speaking on behalf of a minority? 
Who knows? But what is clear is that they are doing so at the expense of privacy, hygiene, and camaraderie and of an established and objectively majority females, especially those little ones. See, this is going to bring uh, uh, Trump the Trump administration to a, a real paradox because he likes to brag about the, the ever heightening GDP under his administration, but we're going to dig down and find out that all that growth is only coming <laughs> from the booming bathroom transitioning economy in which millions of dollars are being added e- each year. And then he, he's going to be at loggerheads What do you think those corporations spent those tax cuts yes, on? Exactly. It sure as hell wasn't share buybacks. Yes. <laughs> it was building gender neutral bathrooms. Again, what's fascinating to me about this is like gender neutral, neutral bathrooms. Fine. Gendered bathrooms, like if we, if, as long as people like, you know, had some ounce of humanity in them, uh, wouldn't be a problem. And that's why, again, why I'm surprised that they're still on this because it just seems like such a non-starter or like you know, completely in- interior to the national review set. I mean, Will, you spend your entire life absorbing this kind of shit. Have you <laughs> ever seen anybody talk about this outside the national review crowd? No. I mean, outside of like, yeah, Rod Dreher, the National Review, and like even more obscure you know, uh, fever swamps of uh, right-wing mania and hysteria. No, yeah. Because I think, like, again, the normal people just understand how bathrooms work, and it's, like, not that big a deal. Yeah, I feel like gender-neutral bathrooms are, to the crazy libertarian right, what, like, capital controls and socializing ownership is to the left. It's very much, at the moment, an internal conversation. Yeah. Except one actually means something about the world, <laughs> and one is just literally dunking your head into a toilet. Yeah, but that's form. just the difference between, you know, the left and the right generally, isn't it? Well, um, I think that just about uh, does it for this episode. Uh, Grace, I want to thank you for joining us. But uh, before you go, uh, please uh, tell us about a little bit about your book. And oh, yeah. Do, do, a little, do a little plug here. So my book is called Stolen, How to Save the World from Financialization. It has very little to do with anything that we've discussed (laughs) so far, but, you know, obliquely, because I talk about, you know, how capitalism is collapsing around us, how we understand that, um, how, like, the period since the financial crisis has been, you know, this Gramscian moment, and we are seeing the birth of all kinds of morbid symptoms, including Brexit, including the rise of the far right, gender-neutral bathrooms, etc. (laughs) And we have to build a new kind of class politics to deliver democratic socialism. Uh, maybe we can have you back on to talk about it. That would be amazing. Once again, the book is uh, Stolen. Uh, Grace Blakely, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. When they say uh, Mr. Hager? Yes, this is Joe Hager. Uh, Joe, uh, uh, is your father the one that uh, makes uh, clothes? Yes, sir. We're all together. Uh, you all made me some real lightweight slacks uh, uh, that he just made up on his own sent to me three or four months ago it's a kind of a light brown and a light green rather soft green and soft brown and they're real lightweight now I need about six pairs for summer wear leave me at least two and a half three inches in the back where I can let them out or take them up and put it, make these a half inch bigger in the waist make the pockets at least an inch longer Money, my money and my knife, everything fall out. Wait just now. Another thing, the crotch down where your nuts hang is always a little too tight. So when you make them up, give me a inch that I can let out there uh, because they cut me. It's just like riding a, a wire fence. These are almost these are the best that I've had anywhere in the United States. But uh, uh, when I gain a little weight, they cut me under there. So leave me. Uh, you never do have much margin there. Let's see if you can't leave me about an inch from the, where the zipper is. <coughs>
stems uh, round uh, under my back to my bunghole. All right, then. So I can let it out there if I need to. Okay. Now, be sure you got the best zippers in them. These are good that I have. And uh, if you get those to me, I would sure be grateful. Uh, where would you like to be, please? White House. <laughs>